Well, I'm going to read from God's Word, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 980. As I said to the children, we'll be looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians over these six weeks together. So I'm going to read the first little passage from that to us now. Paul, writing to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. And we uh, praise God for his word and pray we'd add his blessing to it. You're going to have to forgive me, I've uh, lost my script. This is a uh, borrowed technology, which I'm still getting the hang of, so if there's a short delay, it's just because I'm looking for what I need to say. There we go. Well, I want to begin, now that tech is working as it should be, by asking you some quite big questions. Question number one, what does it really mean to be a church? To share life together as we try to make Jesus known. Question number two, how do I keep going in the Christian life? When it's really hard, when I'm facing opposition. And not just to limp through those times feeling weary and run out. But to thrive in them with joy. Third question, and possibly the most important one of all. Who is the Lord Jesus to me? And how much do I allow a deep love for him and a deep longing for his return to inform how I live my life every day? As I say, those are some pretty huge questions to begin our six weeks together. No messing about, straight to the serious stuff. But happily, over these next six weeks together in these noon services, we're going to be looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And I think that as we do, we'll see it's a letter which answers all of those big questions and also has so much more to say to every one of us. You know, Philippians has long been one of my favorite Bible books. I, I love opening it and reading it with other people, both individually and in small groups and with the whole church, because it's full of wisdom for what it means to be a church. And that's always a brilliant thing to reflect on. But much more than that, Philippians is also a letter which is just brimming with thankfulness, with joy in Christ. 
even though it's set against a backdrop of some very difficult and trying circumstances. And so as we begin these six weeks together, one of my big prayers going into this series in Philippians is that as we study it, we'll be led into deeper rejoicing in the Lord Jesus, both as individuals and also together as a church body. And we're going to kick off today by looking at those first 11 verses that I've just read for us. And you'll see that in many ways here, Paul is just laying out his stall for what's going to come next. And we'll look at this together under two headings. Paul's joyful confidence and Paul's earnest prayer. So first of all, Paul's joyful confidence. And I think you really can't miss the joy in this passage, can you? It's really emphatic. Even just in those first couple of verses, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. It's so clear right away that there's a real depth of relationship, a real warmth of relationship between Paul and his friends at Philippi. His joy for them is something that we see throughout the letter and it's apparent right from his opening words here. If you know the letters of Paul, if you think of places like in 1 Corinthians or Galatians, we know that Paul, he doesn't sugarcoat things. And he's not afraid to get right down to business if he feels like a church needs to be challenged and rebuked. So what is it about the Philippians that makes him open this letter overflowing with warmth and joy and thanksgiving? Well, he goes on to explain it for us in verse 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership is the reason for Paul's joy and thanksgiving. Partnership. And that is a major theme in the whole of Philippians, one which we'll see a lot over the next six weeks. That partnership is something which is commended outside the church. It's encouraged within the church family at Philippi and it's modelled to the church by Paul and other godly examples. So we're going to think a lot together about what partnership means. And I think that's a really good thing to do because partnership can feel like one of those Christian jargon words which can be used to describe just about any activity that we do together. But in Philippians we see that partnership for Paul, it's not a buzzword. In this passage, partnership is the source of his joy because partnership is centered around the gospel. It's active and it's ongoing even through trial. It's centered around the gospel. It's active and it's ongoing even through trial. So we see in verse 5 that it's gospel-centered. Paul is joyful and thankful for their partnership in the gospel Then in verse 7, the Philippians are partakers with Paul, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, partakers with him in grace in those things. So what does partnership mean? Well, for the Philippians here, it means practically supporting Paul in his gospel ministry through prayer and also, as we see later, through financial gifts as he thanks them for. And also from following Paul's example in their own gospel ministry in Philippi. So in other words, one answer to this question of what is partnership is that it's a mutual joining together in the work of sharing the gospel, telling other people about the Lord Jesus, what he's done for us, how magnificent he is, 
how he's worthy of following with our whole lives and doing that both as a local church helping and encouraging one another in our gospel proclamation locally and also as a local church committing to supporting the work of others proclaiming the gospel around Scotland and all over the world. That seems to be what the Philippians are doing. Their partnership that Paul is so thankful for is centred around the gospel and making it known. So it's gospel-centered, it's also active and ongoing. We see that in verse 5, he describes the Philippians' partnership with him as something which has extended from the first day until now. So it seems that the church in Philippi were early adopters, so to speak, entering into this partnership with Paul from very early on in their life as a church family. I think what's really encouraging for Paul, though, is that this partnership, it wasn't just a flash in the pan. A kind of new project they're really excited about, but that enthusiasm just sort of waned over time. No, it's been consistent. Throughout Paul's ministry, he's known them to be faithful friends, brothers, sisters, partners in his gospel work. And that continues even into the present. And as he highlights in verse 7, even though he's in prison. That's really encouraging for Paul for a couple of reasons that we'll see later in the letter. It's encouraging because actually a lot of people, now that Paul is down on his luck, they have abandoned him. In fact, some have actively sought to add to his suffering while he's in prison. We'll see that next week together. And so we can imagine that Paul must be really thankful to hear from the Philippian church. Must be so thankful that their faithful and kind partnership, which is not the norm for him, endures even through this trial. And it must also be so encouraging for Paul because as he goes on to write, the reality is that this Philippian church itself will also face suffering for the sake of the gospel. They're going to meet with pagan opponents from outside the church and they're going to face off against really dangerous false teaching from those who claim to be inside the church. And so as Paul hears of the Philippian church, as he hears that they're still going well in partnership with him, They haven't abandoned him in his gospel ministry, even as he's been thrown in jail. Must be a great vote of confidence for him. Must be a great sign that they too will be willing to stay the course, to stand firm for the Lord Jesus, and to keep contending for the gospel, even as the heat is turned up in Philippi. I remember a while ago, a dad whose daughter was probably about 20 years old. He was a bit nervous for a while because it seemed like there was a a no-good guy, a real kind of like layabout guy, not good for him, the kind of guy you wouldn't want your daughter to date. He'd kind of been hanging around and thought, oh, I hope she's not taken in by this guy. And he was so proud because she said no, she turned this guy down because he was immature, because he was lazy. And he was saying to me, as a dad, I just feel so proud, so reassured that she's sensible enough to make wise decisions like that. must be slightly similar for Paul. Seeing how the Philippians are making really wise decisions, not being put off by his circumstances, still still choosing to partner with him, must fill him with confidence that they will cope well in the future too, as the heat gets turned up on them. But back to that big word, partnership. So far we've seen it's a mutual participation in the work of telling people about Jesus, that keeps going even when things are difficult. But there's another angle on this too. You see, Paul is not just joyful and thankful for the Philippians because of what they're doing. 
He's also thankful because their unwavering partnership is also a sign of something that God is doing in them. As Paul says in verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's a bit of a cyclical relationship between the Philippians' persevering partnership and the Lord's work in their hearts and minds and lives. For Paul, because the Lord is at work in the Philippians, he can see that he's at work in them to make them faithful gospel partners. And because they're such faithful gospel partners, Paul can be full of assurance that the Lord is indeed at work in them. So he's absolutely certain here that the Lord God is at work in the hearts and minds of the Philippian believers, and that he will keep that work going until he brings it to completion on the day that Christ Jesus returns. He could be so sure of that because of their attitude towards partnership. It can only be a work of God himself. Others may have cut and run. The Philippians have stayed faithful. The Lord is at work in them. So that's Paul's joyful confidence here that's why he's so overflowing with warmth and joy as he begins this letter just think how encouraging this would have been to hear as a philippian church member gathered together on the lord's day as someone reads this letter from paul you're just faithfully plodding along in the christian life you're seeking to make the gospel known and then you get this letter from paul your great hero in the faith the one under whose preaching of the gospel you were wonderfully converted. And he writes to say how joyful, how thankful he is for you. How absolutely certain he is that the Lord is at work in you and will always be at work in you until he brings his work to completion at the day of Christ's coming again. Must have been such an encouragement, such a joy for the Philippian church to hear Paul's words here. So as we turn to think about how we apply these verses for ourselves, the big take-home message for us must surely be to be encouraged, to rejoice. We can already see so much to encourage us, even in these first few verses. If partnership is a gospel-focused, enduring partnership, well, that's a cause for joy. And so where we see that kind of partnership displayed in our own churches, we too should be full of joy and thanksgiving. It's why I always find it so encouraging when I go to different churches and people tell me about the folks that they're trying to reach with the gospel. The people in their community, their friends, their families, their colleagues who they'd like to introduce to Jesus and share their faith and how they might go about that. We've had a taste of that here even in the last couple of days. It's brilliant. It's a deep cause of joy and thanksgiving. Then what about corporately as a whole church together? Uh, I've been part of St Andrew's Free Church for about six years and one of the things I've always been so thankful for there is that we're a church family that values partnership with others. Others across Scotland and all around the world too. It's great that we, back in St Andrew's, we've got opportunities to partner with, to support congregations around Fife through prayer and preaching and visits. And we also pray and give regularly towards the work of mission partners elsewhere too. Those things are a great cause for joy. And I'm sure that you guys here in Chobos will have similar concerns. These things are not for nothing. They're not meaningless. 
Any time a church decides to invest time and energy and prayer and money in the work of the gospel, locally and further afield, it's a wonderful sign of God's work in us and a wonderful cause for joy and thanksgiving. So I give thanks for all this, and we should all join together in giving thanks for these things. And so often in the Christian life, I feel that we can be prone to feeling quite discouraged, quite downtrodden. I think it's really easy to hone in on all the ways we feel like we're failing to live for the Lord. Maybe losing our temper with the kids again, or not investing enough time or energy or prayer in our neighbours, or feeling too scared or not clever enough to share the gospel. It's really easy to feel as well that church life isn't flashy or dynamic or impressive enough and to feel like maybe the Lord isn't really at work in us. We know he is, but to feel like maybe he's not. We forget there are so many fairly ordinary, run-of-the-mill, everyday things in the life of our churches which, for Paul, aren't just ordinary and run-of-the-mill and everyday. They cause for great thanksgiving and for deep, heartfelt joy. Now, of course, it's right that we repent of our sins and our shortcomings, that we ask for the Lord to help us to change and to grow. The core message of Philippians 1 is to be encouraged. Brothers, sisters, friends, be encouraged. That every time we see evidence of gospel partnership within our church family, around the island, and throughout Scotland and the wider world, It's a sign that God really is at work in you and through you. And that he will continue that good work in you this afternoon. Tomorrow as we begin another week of work. And every day of our lives until we go to be with him or the Lord Jesus comes again in glory. And that reality is one which really ought to encourage us and to help us to rejoice. And I suppose it should also spur us on to want to grow more and more in our partnership. What will it look like for us to keep encouraging one another to hold out the gospel as individuals and as a church? What will it look like for us to actively grow in our partnership within church life? Maybe that's a challenge for us to take up this week, to go home and reflect on and pray through. Maybe these verses or the spur that some of us need to pick up the phone and call someone we know to encourage them and to pray for them. And if we're wondering, well, what kind of things can I be praying for people? Hopefully Paul goes on to give us a model of that too. That's our second point. We've seen Paul's joyful confidence. Now we look at Paul's earnest prayer. And having opened in such warm, glowing terms, commending the Philippians, Paul now moves on to pray for them. Let's read that from verses 9 to 11. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now the eagle-eyed among you may have noticed that the day of Christ comes up in verse 10, just like it did back in verse 6. And in fact, The coming day of Christ is another theme which runs all the way throughout this letter to the Philippians. Uh, The minister mentioned earlier that I'm originally from Northern Ireland. I'm from a town called Portadown. 
And Portadown uh, used to be called the hub of the north because it had a really uh, busy canal route that ran from Portadown to Newry, about 21 miles south of Portadown. That was a major trade route. Why am I boring you with a lesson in Northern Irish history? Well, it's because a few years ago, my family organised a charity walk along the canal path, a 21-mile sponsored walk. And I was living in Newcastle at the time. I didn't think I was actually going to be doing the walk. I thought I was going home just to offer some moral support. It turned out as I got home, I didn't really have a choice. Uh, I was always going to be walking with them. I thought, well, that's fine. It's just walking. I walk every day. How hard could it be? Well, it turns out quite hard. Uh, 21 miles along a very, very straight, boring road is not easy. And I, I, I held up pretty well. I was a bit fitter back then. The first 15, 16 miles, it was a breeze, really easy. And then things started to seize up, the muscles started to go, and it became a bit of a slog. And it was just this long, slow march, left foot in front of right foot in front of left foot for miles and miles and miles. And I was starting to, to lose hope and certainly starting to lose joy. But then just at that moment, there was a slight bend in the road. It wasn't just a straight line anymore. And as we turned around the bend, just in the distance, I could see in all its glory, the, the spire of my home church shining in the distance. I wasn't shining, it never sundered the shine in Northern Ireland, but you know, it was there. I could see it. And all of a sudden, I wasn't just walking along a straight road, I was walking towards home. Those last four or five miles, they were made a lot easier because home was always on the horizon. And I was walking towards it. And Throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians, the day of Christ is held out as a horizon for them. That's their destination, as certain on the horizon for the Philippians as lovely Portadown was for me at the end of that long walk. The day of Christ, as we'll see, is a day on which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The day of Christ is a day when believers' lowly, earthly bodies, the kind of bodies which seize up just by doing a bit of walking, will be transformed to be like him in his glory. The day of Christ is a day which lies right at the heart of Paul's earnest prayer here because it's his longing that on that day, the Philippians will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's interesting though, isn't it, that even though Paul has been really effusive in his praise and thanksgiving for the Philippians, he still prays for their ongoing growth. That's because his eyes are firmly fixed on that horizon, the day of Christ. And his deep concern is that the Lord Jesus is glorified in the Philippian church in as maximal a way as possible on that day of his coming again. And that's why Paul, he doesn't commend them for their partnership and then just say, well, you can relax now. You've got this Christianity thing, kneel down, and you can just put your feet up and coast along to the end. No, all the language here is language of growing and increasing. He prays for an abounding love. In verse 9, that their love would abound more and more. He wants the love that they clearly have for the Lord to continue to grow and increase and abound, not in the abstract, but with knowledge and discernment. 
He wants their love for the Lord to grow more and more as they know more and more of who he is. Then in verse 10, he prays for growing holiness. Their love, their knowledge abounds in verse 9 so that in verse 10 they may approve what is excellent. Paul has in mind their pursuit of holiness until the last day. So more and more, he longs for them not just to have a good enough approach to pleasing God, but to pursue to dwell on and to actively approve of what is excellent. In other words, as they grow in a personal heartfelt knowledge of God and godly discernment, that they're then more and more enabled to ask themselves this question at the start of each day. What is the most God-glorifying thing I can do today? What is the most God-glorifying thing I can do in this situation? What is the most God-glorifying thing I can do with all of my life. And as such then, at the day of Christ, they can stand before him. Paul yearns that they do so pure and blameless. And to hear the Lord Jesus say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Ultimately, on that day of Christ, Paul longs to see this church in Philippi filled with fruit. As we see in verse 11, the thing that ties the different parts of this prayer together that the fruit of righteousness is the fruit that comes from having been made right with God, brought into right relationship with him through what Christ has done. And it's this, it's this that enables them to pursue holiness, to grow in blamelessness as they serve one another and serve the gospel selflessly. So it's a pretty big prayer from Paul. And I guess when we see prayers like this, we should do two things. They should, first of all, they should inform how we pray ourselves, and they should also suggest how we need to grow. This prayer should help us to pray and to pursue, in other words. We saw earlier the challenge of verses 1 to 8, is to reflect on how can we grow in partnership. Well, I wonder, as a first step, what would it look like if we committed to praying these verses for one another? We regularly pray in our church meetings back in St Andrews, and I'm sure you, you have similar concerns here. We pray for our leaders, our politicians. We pray for situations like in Ukraine. We pray for those in need locally and all around the world. And it's entirely right that we bring those needs before the Lord in prayer. How right that we do that. And it's also entirely right that we devote time to praying practically for one another. What a great privilege it is to be able to share the worries and cares of everyday life with one another, and then together commit them to the Lord in prayer. It's a wonderful blessing. But I wonder what it might look like to also pray along Paul's lines here. If we thought about our brothers and sisters in our church family, and if we prayed that they would have a growing and abounding love for God and for his people, that they would have a growing desire to pursue what's most pleasing to him, Mindful of what Christ has done for them and of Christ's coming again. Why don't we pray these things for one another today? Why don't we pray these things for one another this week? And if we're getting in touch to check in with people, why not share that encouragement? Because wouldn't you be so encouraged to hear that someone had been praying this prayer over you? I don't know if you're anything like me, but I can sometimes find that when people ask how they can pray for me, and it's a quiet time, like over the summer, I'm not really sure what to say. Recently, it's basically been praying a lot for Billy, and I'm thankful for people who've been doing that. 
But sometimes I don't really know. If there's no like, urgent need on the horizon, I don't really know what to say. Well, why don't I, why don't we make it our prayer request when people ask us how, we can, how they can be praying for us? That God would use wherever we are, use our current situations to grow us in love for him. That God would give us a deeper and growing desire to pursue excellence before him. That God would be at work in us by his spirit to make us more like the Lord Jesus as we await and long for his return. Because wouldn't it be amazing if our churches were marked by our growing vertical love for the Lord. And that that love would express horizontally so to speak in love for one another and in growing holiness so naturally these prayers will then go hand in hand with our ongoing pursuit of holiness these verses prompt us to ask ourselves the question of verse 10 what's the most excellent what's the most god honoring thing i can do today i can do with all of my life and that may well look like the lord growing us in our patience with our families it might well look like a renewed commitment to one anothering to being intentional in fellowship in partnership with one another. There might be in that little bit of extra boldness we feel like we're lacking in inviting our neighbours to church or sharing our faith with them. All of these things come so much more naturally when they spring out of that deeper knowledge of and love for the Lord Jesus. And that's why as we close our time together, I think Philippians gives us reasons to be joyful today. There is assurance that as we've seen already, God is the one who is at work in us, giving us everything we need to grow. There's the assurance that we pray all of these things in the light of the certainty of Christ's return. That day when he comes to wrap up human history and bring his work in us to completion. So that's our introduction to the book of Philippians today. Already we can see it's a letter that will give us lots of cause for joy and thanksgiving over these next weeks. And I pray that as we study the rest of it together, we'll see more of the beauties, more of the majesties of the Lord Jesus, and more assurances of his presence with, of his work in and through us. Well, let me 